0: Good morning. Welcome to NTD.
1: Good morning. Here today's top stories, arguments for former President Trump's immunity in his election case. Can the court even decide this before a verdict? What was the hypothetical involving assassination? A legal analyst unpacks this.
0: Florida Governor Ron DeSantis seeking to convince Iowans that Trump's not guaranteed to win despite leading in polls. What's unfolding in Iowa as the nation's first caucuses are now five days away
1: pending bill negotiations getting testy as multiple lawmakers plan a shutdown the border or shut down the government press conference today
0: snowstorms and tornadoes tearing through wide parts of the US central and eastern states are bracing for more harsh weather
1: a major attack on international shipping lanes in the south red sea by the iran backed group find out how the us navy responded
0: Meta announces that it's expanding its youth safety efforts on social media. Entity business host Don Ma has the story.
1: The CES Tech Show is back in Las Vegas this week. This year's show is dominated by AI-driven products, ranging from cooking grills to bird feeders. See some of the new gadgets.
2: This is NTD Good Morning. Live from our global
0: headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan. Welcome to NTD.
1: Welcome. Today's Wednesday, January 10th.
0: Yes, and that question about whether or not President Trump should get presidential immunity has big implications for him and the country. But also if you're into the specifics of this, that's really gonna get you if you're if you're into law.
1: Right. Well the judge, one of the judges even brought up the Watergate scandal in Nixon.
0: Right, yeah, Judge. Child said that if you know if he needed a pardon after Watergate, then why would presidents have given immunity? And also, Trump's lawyers are just saying that Nixon's acts were not an official act of president, whereas Trump's are.
1: Yes, and hold that thought because I know we're going to get into that more deeply later on. But our first top story today brings us to Iowa. Dismissing polls in Iowa, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis went after former President Trump at a Fox News town hall last night. He doubled down on that at a press conference while Trump navigated between the courtroom and the campaign trial, trail.
0: Joining us is Entity White House correspondent Iris Tao in Des Moines. Good morning to you, Iris. What's DeSantis' latest message there in Iowa?
3: Good morning to you as well. While former President Trump is still dominating in the polls here in Iowa, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Tuesday tried to dismiss the polls by calling on Iowan voters to end the quote, self-fulfilling prophecy of Trump winning in 2024.
2: There's a lot of people that want to vote, you know, for Republicans, um, but I think that there's a lot that, that 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 are not going to do the Trump stuff. That's just the reality, and like you know, we can sit there and and try to deny it, but that's been true in all these elections going forward. So the question is,
3: Desantis also claimed that the media has been going relatively easy on Trump. One of Desantis' surrogates here in Iowa, Congressman Chip Roy, told us about his reasoning. Watch.
4: When you got Fox saying, sure, we're going to give you your own one-hour show, uh, you know, a Town Hall at 9 o'clock, why not force him to show up for a debate? Will they ask him some really tough questions?
3: DeSantis also went after Trump's legal troubles, saying that if Trump becomes the Republican nominee, the 2024 election will be all about Trump himself. Trump is juggling between the courtroom and the campaign trail here in Iowa. He appeared at a D.C. appeals court on Tuesday claiming presidential immunity in the 2020 election case. He also posted this on Tuesday. I wasn't campaigning.
5: The election was over. I did absolutely nothing wrong. I was acting as the president of the United States. This wasn't for me. This was for the country.
3: Trump is participating at another Fox News town hall tonight here in Iowa. And thus as DeSantis and Nikki Haley are set to debate right across town. And on Thursday, Trump's traveling to New York to appear for the closing arguments in the New York civil fraud trial. He will be back here in Iowa over the weekend. And one message that Trump and other candidates are trying to project to voters here is come out to vote on monday and don't mind the below zero temperatures back to you
1: iris thank you and hope you can stay warm we're moving on to another topic the mother of melania trump has died after falling ill late last month
0: the former first lady broke the news in a post on social media late yesterday
1: Mrs. Trump wrote, It is with deep sadness that I announce the passing of my beloved mother, Amalia Naz. The former first lady also wrote her mother was entirely devoted to her husband, daughter's grandson and son-in-law.
0: Mrs. Trump did not disclose the cause of her mother's death. The news comes after former President Trump confirmed his mother-in-law was very ill over the Christmas and New Year's holiday.
1: Trump recently acknowledged his wife had been absent from some family gatherings and holiday photos, including the Trump family Christmas card, to be by her ailing mother's side. Amalia Novs was 78. Former President Trump making an unexpected detour from his Iowa campaign trail yesterday, 1,000 miles away in Washington, D.C.
0: He voluntarily showed up in court as judges weighed his presidential immunity argument in the 2020 election case. Entity's Melina Wisecup was at the D.C. courthouse.
6: Former President Trump and special counsel Jack Smith are both eager to get answers in this federal 2020 election case they want to court to rule as to the question as to whether or not the former president is immune from prosecution. In this case, Trump appeared here at this federal courthouse here in Washington, D.C. without being required to do so. And this is interesting timing for the former president. It comes when all of his GOP challengers are currently making their last rounds in the state of Iowa to secure last minute support there. But his appearance here in D.C. instead shows that his campaign team sees this as an opportunity to shore up more support for the former president by painting him as a victim of a politicized justice system. The former president, after leaving this courtroom, expressed optimism in the case and doubled down on his claim of innocence. And in a rare moment, he showed gratitude to the media for covering his case fairly. Watch this.
5: I want to thank everybody for the fairness. We've been covered very fairly. A president has to have immunity. And the other thing is I did nothing wrong. We did nothing wrong.
6: Trump's legal team argued before three judges that Trump's actions after the 2020 election fell within his official duties as president and served within the national interest. Therefore, they cannot be prosecuted. However, prosecutors argue that his actions were unprecedented and have no legal protection. Here's a bit of that back and forth.
7: Never before has there been allegations that a sitting president has, with private individuals and using the levers of power, sought to fundamentally subvert the Democratic Republic and the electoral system. What he is forecasting is a situation
5: where the floodgates will be open. We are in a situation where uh, we have the prosecution of the chief
0: political opponent who's winning in every poll.
6: Now, as we await a decision here, it's important to note that whichever way the court rules, this case is still very likely to end up at the Supreme Court. And while Trump's trial was scheduled for March, this appeals process could delay it past that date and possibly beyond the 2024 presidential election. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Melina in NTD News.
0: And to learn more about the arguments aimed at securing presidential immunity in Trump's election case, we're joined by Paul Kaminar, the lead counsel at the National Legal and Policy Center. Good morning, Paul. Thanks for coming on.
4: Yeah, good morning. Thank you for having me.
0: First, can this immunity question even be decided before there's a verdict?
4: Well, yes, and that's what the whole purpose is. I I was there in the courtroom sitting uh, right uh, in the first row behind uh, President Trump, and I heard the arguments, and the argument about whether they should hear, hear this before the trial is very important because the whole purpose of immunity is that Trump should not even be subject to going through all this criminal trial process. So this is something that must be decided before the trial, and that's why it's very important for the court to rule at least one way or the other, so we can, so Trump can appeal it uh, to the higher court.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting because AP reports that a watchdog says that there is Supreme Court precedent that shows that it, they can't decide it now, whereas Trump's attorney is saying that there is precedent to decide this. So a lot of mix up there. One judge on Trump's team was asked if a president would be granted immunity if they somehow orchestrated some assassination plot against their rival. And then they replied that the president can only be prosecuted if they've already been impeached. Smith's team asked at that point, what kind of world are we living in? So does this argument hold up?
4: Yeah, that that was a question that did raise some problems in terms of the arguments by Trump's attorney. I think what uh, they were trying to get at is, and they gave examples, if, if uh, uh, Obama had uh, ordered, uh, and he did order, drone strikes that killed U.S. citizens, could Obama be prosecuted in that case? And I think the underlying issue that should be uh, considered here is whether or not President Trump is carrying out presidential duties or within the outer limit or outer perimeter as the case law says, of his duties. And so I I think the uh, example that they gave was problematic because they were trying to tie in the impeachment clause issue. And I think that's a separate issue from whether or not President Trump was acting within his presidential duties, because on that alone, he could prevail that there should be uh, absolute immunity in this case.
0: Okay, Paul, so thanks for clearing that up. Now, the Founding Father's intent on immunity was brought up, and Judge Henderson said, I think it's paradoxical to say that his constitutional duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed allows him to violate criminal law. Does that judge's comment go based on the assumption that Trump did break the law?
4: Yeah, it it does, uh, because uh, the court was looking solely at the face of the indictment, and they argued that That's all they're supposed to look at. Well, the face of the indictment alleges all these presidential actions that he did as president, contacting the Justice Department, contacting members of Congress. Those are all well within the presidential duties. So I think the court was basically uh, agreeing with the conclusion of Jack Smith, but we haven't had the trial yet. So uh, it's kind of problematic that the court was basically agreeing that Trump was guilty of these crimes really tricky
0: legal stuff here. We're going to have to see how this plays out. And it was interesting because Judge Henderson and Florence Pan, they cited Trump's attorney in the impeachment trial over J6 when he said, that attorney said that Trump could face criminal prosecution later. So it looks like there might be a little bit more that we're going to have to wait and see. Paul Kaminar, lead counsel of the National Legal and Policy Center. Thank you for your time.
4: Thanks for having
8: me.
1: Major cities along the east coast could see some flooding today as a heavy winter storm dumps rain and snow across wide portions of the U.S. The Storm Prediction Center says over 40 million people are under a severe storm threat.
0: Forecasters say New York City and Washington, D.C. could get up to four inches of rain. Winter storm alerts are in effect from parts of Missouri and Iowa through Michigan. Snow piling up in the area is expected to move on. But threats still remain for New England and parts of the northeast.
1: Tornadoes and high winds blew off roofs and flipped over campers and trailers in the south. The storms killed at least four people yesterday. The severe weather is also knocking out power as it moves across the states. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the storm's impact.
9: At least four people were killed as the result of storms Tuesday. Two killed by falling trees in their vehicles. The others died in their mobile homes. A driver was found dead in a crushed car on a highway in Jonesboro, Georgia, another under similar circumstances in Birmingham, Alabama. An 81-year-old woman in Cottonwood, Alabama was found dead after her trailer flipped multiple times. A suspected tornado in North Carolina killed one person and critically injured two others in the town of Claremont, north of Charlotte. North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper declared a state of emergency, lifting size and weight restrictions on the trucking of emergency supplies. In South Carolina, a potential tornado rolled through the small town of Bamberg, leaving some buildings in ruin. Fourteen tornadoes were reported across Florida, Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina on Tuesday, with over three million in Florida under tornado watch, including in Tampa and Orlando. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed an executive order declaring a state of emergency in 49 of the state's 67 counties. To ensure of abundance of caution, we have
2: the resources needed to help impacted counties and impacted Floridians.
9: Impacted areas include parts of Panama City, where a potential tornado destroyed apartment buildings on its way through. Close to 900,000 homes and businesses across the U.S. were without power Tuesday night, according to poweroutage.us. That included 180,000 in New York, where Governor Kathy Hochul raised concerns about the storm heading northeast. Hochul says freezing temperatures could be life-threatening if the power goes out. She says flooding is also possible, especially in the Hudson Valley. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy issued a state of emergency to prepare, warning residents not to underestimate the storm coming their way. New York City Mayor Eric Adams ordered the evacuation of close to 2,000 illegal immigrants from the tent complex at Fort Bennett Field Tuesday night, sending a convoy of buses to James Madison High School in Brooklyn. An aide to the mayor says the move was prompted by predictions that heavy wind could hit up to 70 miles per hour, along with heavy rain and snow. Adams' office stated the relocation is temporary until conditions stabilize. In the Pacific Northwest, a separate storm system is producing blizzard conditions as it moves over the Rockies and onto the Central Plains, where the storm in some areas has already dropped over a foot of snow. Snow blanketing Colorado had horses huddled in barns and wearing coats. The storm brought trouble to travelers, with around 1,200 flights cancelled Tuesday, and over 8,500 delayed according to data from FlightAware. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
1: Boeing CEO has admitted the company made a mistake regarding last week's terrifying incident on an Alaska Airlines flight.
0: A Boeing Max 9 had to make an emergency landing when parts of its flu- when a part of its fuselage blew, leaving a gaping hole in the side of the plane.
1: That was in a company staff meeting yesterday. The admission reportedly refers to the production of the 737 MAX
0: 9. An anonymous source at the company told CNN that Boeing believes it made an error during manufacturing, citing a supply chain problem.
1: A video of the meeting was provided to CNN. The head of Boeing told staff that the company will approach the mistake with quote 100% transparency every step of the way.
0: It's not clear from the video if any specific error was presented during the meeting no one was killed or seriously injured in the mid-flight incident, part of which was caught on video clips by passengers.
1: And coming up, top Senate Republicans signal a short-term continuing resolution is needed as spending bill talks continue.
0: And today is the first hearing on the impeachment proceedings of DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. What's at stake? And some New York officials are fired up after a Brooklyn school is used as a migrant shelter. Find out where classes for the displaced kids will be held after this break.
1: Welcome back. The mystery illness that kept Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin out of the loop this week has been revealed.
0: It turns out to be prostate cancer. The Pentagon spokesperson yesterday said that Austin is recovering and in good spirits. I can
7: tell you that he is actively engaged in his duties, uh, as I highlighted, uh, and um, fully engaged. Uh, and so, you know, completely confident in that and will obviously keep you updated in terms of his status in the hospital.
1: According to Walter Reed, National Military Medical Center, the secretary's cancer was discovered in early December, and he underwent surgery later that month. Then on New Year's Day, Austin was once again admitted due to an urinary tract infection, which was a complication of the surgery.
0: The Pentagon did not inform the public about the diagnosis or President Biden and his cabinet members until Tuesday morning. The lack of transparency has fueled criticism among members of Congress, some of whom have called for Austin to step down.
1: And now for the latest on spending bill negotiations. Senate Republicans said yesterday that a short-term funding measure will be needed. This to avert a partial federal government shutdown that would begin on January 19th.
0: Anthony's Daniel Monahan has more on that and the role the border is playing in the talks. The first hearing on the impeachment proceedings of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is today. For some analysis, we're joined by Hugh Fike, the Director of Government Relations at the Conservative Partnership Institute. Thank you for coming on the show again, Hugh. Thanks for having me. So why now? I mean, we've seen 6 million apprehensions at the border under Biden's time in office. There have been 169 people on the terror watch list apprehended. American people, they say, have been wanting an end to this border crisis for three years.
7: Yeah, right. So when uh, when President Biden came into office, he really only had to do nothing to have a secured border. What he was handed was um, very low migration rates, very low illegal entries, um, a stabilizing border, and uh, they completely threw it into chaos by not enforcing any of the laws, getting rid of uh, the safe third country, the uh, migra- migration protection protocols, getting rid of the things that went that worked. And so, yeah, I, many like myself have wanted this to end for the last three years. And so, you know, they've, they've t- certainly taken their time. But over the last year, the House Homeland Security Committee has kind of thoroughly and thoughtfully gone through an investigation, trying to leave no stone unturned. You know, my friends on the committee have worked really hard to make sure that um, you know, in this narrow majority that there aren't many defections. And so, yeah, it's taken a little while. And it's a fair question. Uh, but now that they're here, they're going to go through the process and thoroughly, um, you know, uh, kind of work through the, the, the process, which, um, yeah, many have, have hoped that it would have been sooner, including me. But uh, here we are. And, and so they're going to take the steps and go through with it
0: and house republicans have accused dhs secretary Marcus of dereliction of duty and one of the big sticking points is disregarding detention and removal requirements for you know provisions in the u.s law so what risk does that pose to the american people if those aren't followed well
7: just in the last two fiscal years alone there have been two million people that have been released into the country um, according to CBP, and if you include uh, other years it's over three million people and as you mentioned you know 169 people on the terror watch list um, with with actually uh, many more that have been encountered and some those some of those go through the ports of entry and, and some don't and that can mean that they might not want to get caught. Um, you know we've had a huge upsurge in, in Chinese nationals coming to the border. in fact I think in 2020 or FY24 there were uh, over 20,000 of those folks. Um, just the Daily Caller reported last week that, uh, you know, the White House is late as early, as early as April of 2023 has loosened restrictions for vetting of Chinese nationals. And, um, you know, so you, you're, you're seeing this, like a kind of decoupling of security from immigration, um, and it, it becomes a big problem. I mean, you know, they show up at the border with no basically no documents. They show up, we put them on a plane with no documents, no identification, give them a phone. Um, turn them loose into the country with no real um, need to show up. I mean, some people are giving notices to appear 10 years from now. I mean, life changes a lot in 10 years, including having kids and getting jobs and stuff like that. Um, But I mean, you've seen now with reporting that they're actually displacing um, elementary school kids to make make room for them to sleep in elementary schools. I mean, we're we've really got to take stock of what this means and how we're prioritizing you know, these parts of these these things in our country. And so it's, it's, it's quite troubling. So the facts do speak for themselves.
0: Yeah. And in addition to those delayed court proceedings, the fact that he was granting what they say is mass parole was also something that Mm -hmm. they took issue with. And DHS secretary Mayorkas, I will point out, has said that the border is not open, which is in direct direct contrast to the fact that like we mentioned 6 million encounters that does not include the 1.7 million known gotaways in biden's time in office and also about 600 gang members crossed the border with one in four of them being ms13 members very very violent people but if mayorkas is impeached do we expect it to go anywhere given that the democrats control the senate
7: well it's funny he says that it's not open when he just told the border patrol that over 85% of people apprehended at the border being released into the country, so yeah, maybe it's not wide open, but it's certainly open. Um, uh, so yeah, you know, I, the question of whether or not this makes any any headway in the Senate um, isn't really a question for the House, uh, in part because you know they've they've decided that this is uh, you know a squarely part of their role and their duty as um, you know as part of an equal uh, an equal branch of of Congress. Um, and so they see it w- squarely within their, their duty in the Constitution that they need to provide accountability and oversight. And so this will work through the Homeland Security Committee because they have direct juris- legislative and oversight jur- jurisdiction over um, DHS and effectively Mayorkas. And so it's not really a good question for them to ask themselves because if if they know that there's some predetermined outcome in the Senate, then they can just say, well, if they're not going to do their job, then we shouldn't do our job. And so, you know, you don't know what happens when these sort of things crack open. I mean, they've done a really thorough job investigating this, and and we'll see what the the hearings um, lay out in terms of the evidence. And so while, you know, there's certainly an uphill road there, that doesn't mean it's not a a cause for them to get started.
0: Right. So, Hugh, if he is convicted by the Senate, who would pick the replacement in that case?
7: Well, it would, uh, so say he is convicted, he would never actually be able to serve in office again. That's a kind of a underscored part of uh, impeachment um, but you know because it's an election year um, you know the president would have to go through and, and he'd probably pick an immediate successor within the department and then um, you know be, because it's an election year you don't really know if he would nominate a successor which would again have to go back through confirmation two-thirds you know confirmation in the senate so um, the president would ultimately be responsible for that um, but uh, you know just given the time of uh, year it is and, and, and you know the upcoming events um, it, who knows what's end, end up going to happen with that?
0: Right, and Hugh, is there any Democrat support in the House for these proceedings to impeach Mayorkas?
7: Doesn't look like much right now, but there are. You know, with with a recent CBS poll of seventy percent of Americans saying that uh, the the president has really botched the handling of this uh, southern border, you, you know, you've got to assume there's some crossover in that poll. So you don't know again when this sort of thing o- opens up. I'm sure the you know, the uh, Democrats on the uh, House Homeland Security Committee will be, um, you know, in full-throated defense. But there are some that aren't on the committee and in, in competitive districts. Okay, and this is a very important issue
0: to the yes. Americans. Thank you for weighing in on this. Hugh Feig, Director of Government Relations at the Conservative Partner Institute.
7: Thank you.
1: The illegal immigrant crisis heats up as a winter storm slams the East Coast.
0: Students at James Madison High School in Brooklyn, New York, will have to attend classes remotely today.
1: The school's facilities will be used to shelter about 2,000 migrants being housed at a tent shelter at Brooklyn's Floyd Bennett Field. Officials say potential high winds and possible flooding forced them to relocate the illegal immigrants.
0: New York City Councilwoman Ina Vernikoff criticized the move. She says students are being punished and forced to bear the brunt of the migration crisis perpetrated by President Biden.
1: Comptroller Brad Lander found fault with choosing Floyd Bennett Field as a shelter in the first place. He says the significant storm risks were known. At Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis called using the school as a shelter disgraceful.
0: DeSantis says depriving kids of in-person education to house people who don't have a right to be here to begin with is Biden's America in a nutshell.
1: Coming up, tensions in the Red Sea as the Iran-backed Houthi group launches a barrage of missiles and drones at international shipping lanes.
0: And battles in the Gaza Strip getting more intense. As Israel says, it's now expanding operations in a certain city. This comes as Secretary of State Antony Blinken wraps up his diplomatic tour of the Middle East.
1: Unrest in Poland after two former ministers are arrested inside the presidential palace. What's at the heart of the unrest? We fill in the details coming up. Good to have you back. The U.S. Navy shot down 21 Houthi missiles and drones launched from Yemen yesterday.
0: It's one of the largest Houthi attacks to take place in the Red Sea in recent months.
1: The military called it a complex attack carried out by the Iranian-backed group.
0: Central Command says the barrage included 18 one-way attack drones, two anti-ship cruise missiles and one anti-ship ballistic missile. The attack was launched towards international shipping lanes in the southern Red Sea, where dozens of merchant vessels were traveling.
1: There were no ships damaged in the attacks and no injuries were reported.
0: Three destroyers took part in the shootdown of the barrage.
1: The Israel Defense Forces are now expanding their operations in one particular city in the Gaza Strip, and the IDF says that while doing so, they've killed 40 terrorists in 24 hours.
0: This comes as Secretary of State Antony Blinken wraps up his diplomatic tour in the Middle East. Entities Jason Perry has the latest on the war, and a warning, this report contains footage that some viewers may find disturbing.
2: On Tuesday, Israel Defense Forces released frontline footage of these troops trying to track down terrorists in this building. One of the soldiers comes out of a room, then a terrorist starts shooting at him through the wall. They exchange fire with the terrorist and take cover. Then the terrorist starts throwing grenades at them. The IDF later located two deceased terrorists at the bottom of the stairwell. On Tuesday, the IDF said they're now expanding their operations in Khan Yunus. And over the last 24 hours, they've killed 40 terrorists. Meanwhile, on the same day, Hamas released its own video secretly watching these apparent Israeli soldiers patrolling the area until they stop near this truck. A terrorist then fires an explosive at him, but apparently he missed. As you can see, the smoke several meters away from where they were standing. And the Israeli soldiers can be seen running away from the area at the top of the screen as shots were fired at them. Hamas and other terrorist groups in the Gaza Strip still hold approximately 100 hostages. And it appears that some of their family members are losing patience as they blocked humanitarian aid from getting into the
5: Gaza Strip. My son was kidnapped 95 days ago. He is sick. He has a colitis disease, and his stress situation is getting severe. We are going to stop the trucks because it's supposed to be humanitarian for humanitarian. It can't be only one side.
3: They get all the help, all the humanitarian. I, I, I'm uh, okay with that. Okay, they need to get food. Okay, but my. Father-in-law need also get medicines get food and we don't know anything about them Meanwhile
2: Secretary of State Anthony Blinken has been touring the Middle East during the last few days in an effort to prevent the war from expanding On Tuesday he said this in Tel Aviv On this trip I came to Israel after meeting with the leaders of Turkey
9: Greece Jordan Qatar the United Arab Emirates Saudi Arabia all of those leaders share our concern about the spread of the conflict. All of them are committed to using their influence, using the ties that they have to prevent it from escalating, to deter new fronts from opening.
2: Blinken's concerns about the war expanding comes as Israel Defense Forces conducted another airstrike in Lebanon and has now killed two commanders in the Hezbollah terrorist group in two days. Blinken added that the U.S. remains intensely focused on bringing all of the hostages home. Jason Perry, NTD News.
1: Secretary of State Antony Blinken says Israel must allow Palestinians back to their homes in Gaza as soon as conditions allow and must not be displaced.
0: The comments from the top diplomat came after a day of talks with top Israeli officials in Tel Aviv.
1: Blinken reaffirmed U.S. support for Israel in, quote, ensuring that October 7th can never happen again. He's also calling on Israel to do more to minimize civilian casualties. And he discusses efforts to release hostages still being held by Hamas.
0: Blinken says Israel has agreed to a plan to allow U.N. assessment mission to northern Gaza when the war shifts to a new phase.
1: He said that will determine what needs to be done to allow those displaced to return safely to their homes.
0: Blinken met with Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas in the West Bank today. That was to discuss Gaza's future and the Palestinian Authority's possible role after the war.
1: In Ecuador, major unrest, hours after a state of emergency was declared.
0: There were reports of explosions, kidnappings of police officers, and incidents in prisons across the country.
1: Armed men attacked a TV station during a live broadcast yesterday. That's the footage you see here. The unrest was sparked when a notorious gang leader known as Fito recently vanished from prison. Ecuador's president ordered police and the military to set up roadblocks and start combing through streets and prisons to find him.
0: And now violence is reportedly spreading to universities and this TV station. Gang members have also taken police officers hostage and firebombed police vehicles. Until recently, Ecuador saw less violence than neighboring South American countries, but now it's become a key point for drug trafficking to Europe and the U.S. Gangs in Ecuador assassinated a presidential candidate last year.
1: The 13 men who burst into the Ecuadorian public TV channel during a live broadcast were arrested by police. This while at least seven police officers were kidnapped in other locations.
0: According to journalists from the TV channel, the assailants wanted to be on live TV for their threats to be broadcast. And Peru's government yesterday declared a state of emergency along its northern border with Ecuador as a surge of violence unfolded.
1: Several major airlines, including American Airlines United, JetBlue and Spirit have begun cancelling flights to Ecuador. Staying in international news, police in Poland arrested two MPs from the former government at the presidential palace yesterday. Poland's President Andrzej Duda had invited them to a ceremony to appoint new presidential adv- advisors.
0: The convicted politicians are accused of abuse of power. Their party was defeated in last year's general election after governing Poland for eight years.
1: The new government's Prime Minister, Donald Tusk, has vowed to undo the policies of his predecessors. Tusk accused Duda of obstructing justice for giving the two lawmakers refuge at the palace.
0: The two were convicted for actions taken in 2007. President Duda had pardoned them, but the Polish Supreme Court overturned that and set up a retrial. The pair were given two-year jail sentences in the pre-trial, in the retrial, that is.
1: Police let them out of the palace through a rare exit connected by a tunnel to the National Security Office building.
0: The standoff is the latest escalation in an ongoing row between the two parties. It likely won't be the last, with the new government and president in different political camps. Hundreds of protesters gathered in front of the palace and in front of the police station where the politicians are being held.
1: China and the U.S. are resuming military talks.
0: The discussions were put on hold after former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan in the summer of 2022.
1: Officials say the talks are crucial in preventing an escalation of competition between the two nations into direct conflict.
0: The talks were held at the Pentagon yesterday. Representatives from both sides talked about arranging future meetings between their military officers.
1: There were discussions about the potential scheduling of a meeting between Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, currently hospitalized, and the newly appointed Chinese Defense Minister Dong Jun.
0: Dong is a former naval commander. He took on his role in late December after his predecessor Li Fu was removed from office. And stay with us, META is looking to roll out new safety features for its teen users on Facebook and Instagram. We take a look at what this means with the host of NTD Business.
1: Welcome back. We have Entity Business host Don Ma here with us to discuss Meta's new safety features.
0: Meta announced Tuesday that it is expanding its youth safety efforts by releasing new settings for teen users on Facebook and Instagram. So Don, how are the new features to improve these safety for teens?
10: Right. uh, So Meta is saying that these uh, new features are going to add on to the existing uh, slate of uh, well-being and parental oversight tools. So there's going to be an extra layer here. In a blog post announcing the uh, policies uh, yesterday, Meta said that uh, you know it wants teens to have a good experience on the platform, age-appropriate, of course. Uh, and so some of the new features include uh, content restrictions and hiding search result terms. So this, of course, comes after Meta has faced uh, scrutiny on its impact on teens on the platform we've all heard this uh, so meta said it's going to start hiding a- age inappropriate content uh that's including things like uh posts discussing self-harm eating disorders uh nudities from teens feeds and stories so um this content will be hidden even if it's shared by someone that the teens follow themselves. Uh, So a bit more restrictive here. And Meta is also making it so that all teens who use Facebook and Instagram will be placed into its actually most restrictive uh, recommendation settings. And this will make it by default more challenging, more difficult to come across potentially uh, sensitive content uh, in search or explore. And this is a policy that was previously uh, only applied to new teens who signed up for the app. So uh, the changes are going to be set out to roll out uh, for children under, under the age of 18 in the coming months. So we'll see.
1: So there is a lot of health concern as well for those teens using uh, Meta as social media apps. Will those new features put these concerns to rest?
10: Well, updating teen settings certainly could help address some of the concerns because with the new update, uh, Meta is also expanding the range of search terms that it's going to hide so that's going to uh restrict a lot of the content that will be harmful if teens start searching for these types of things there's going to be uh, uh search terms related to self-harm suicide and eating disorders that's going to be hidden for them uh, this list will also be expanded uh, in the coming weeks and going forward there's going to be new prompts as well asking teens to uh, periodically review uh, safety and privacy settings. It's going to offer them uh, an easy one-tap one way to turn on recommended uh, privacy settings. And this will automatically change their settings to uh, restrict who can repost their content, uh, share their reels, tag, mention, or message them. Uh, so a bit, bit more of default Uh, safety uh, restrictions here and another important change being added to Meta's existing teen safety and parental control tools is the ability for parents uh, to see how much time their kids are actually spending uh, on their platform and it's going to set up reminders for them to uh, potentially take a break if the scrolling session is a bit too long and as well there's going to be notifications to parents if the teens are reporting some of the posts or users.
0: Well, it's good that something's getting done here because this issue has been brought up in the past. And we look back to 2021 when that whistleblower before Congress, when it was still called Facebook, said that Facebook was putting its own profits over the health and safety of its users. And then all that uproar caused Facebook to stop their Instagram account for children 10 to 12 years old that they were working on. So they put the kibosh on that. But what about BlackRock? What's the development
10: there? Yeah, a bit of news uh, on that front. BlackRock, uh, the world's largest uh, asset manager said yesterday it's going to cut about three percent of its workforce and that translates to about 600 jobs and no single team will be the focus of the cuts Uh, this is according to a source at the firm now the move comes as the new york-based firm seeks to reshuffle its resources and this is in response to technological challenges in the financial industry now while blackrock shares are up about 5% over the past months. That's still well behind, though, the roughly 22% gain in the benchmark S&P 500 index. And BlackRock ended the third quarter of 2023 with $9.1 trillion in assets under management. And this is down from the second quarter total of $9.4 trillion. BlackRock is expected to announce its fourth quarter results on Friday. And the company says, even with the job cuts it expects to end the year with more employees
1: well that's interesting well thank you so much for keeping us up to date on this don ma host of ntd business
10: yeah my pleasure
1: heading to break the annual ces tech show in las vegas is now underway see some of the ai driven gadgets being offered at the show this week to have you back tech lovers can rejoice the annual ces tech show is back this week with loads of great new gadgets
0: from cooking grills to cat flaps artificial intelligence is taking center stage at this year's show
5: people who follow the latest tech trends wait all year for the ces tech show to return the show is finally back this week and taking place in las vegas this year, visitors will find A.I. dominating the products being exhibited here, like an A.I. powered grill to make the perfect steak in just seconds.
9: You will select medium
10: rare and your cut type on the screen. You can also input your sear level. And then when you click start cooking, the sensors in the device will calculate loads of parameters. It will take your parameters that you have just inputted. And then the AI will control the unique dual vertical cooking system which burns at 1650 degrees Fahrenheit to then cook your food and it will move in and out, turn on and off, and in about 90 seconds you'll get the best, most juiciest food you've ever tried tasted.
5: Bird lovers can get an AI-powered feeder identifying the species of each winged visitor.
3: recognize and also it tells you what species it's visiting like cardinal is here and long-tail tit just like here and also we have oreo like here so it tells you what species visiting and also it collects uh, the birds on your phone so you get to know how many birds are visiting and also you, you got to see by different uh, category yes
5: AI reads your cat's face and lets it in and out of your door as long as it isn't trying to bring a mouse in the house
7: We use AI with our data that we've collected over the years. So what we do is we have an infrared camera, night vision camera on the outside and every time that your cat wants to enter the door it scans its face. So as soon as it detects prey it immediately locks the door and the cat has to wait outside until it then tries again without any prey.
5: The use of artificial intelligence is still in its infancy and developers are still finding ways to implement AI into their products. Some will be hits. Other ideas may not work well and quickly fail.
8: So I think CES 2024 will definitely go down in the books as a confused mishmash of a year, because we're going to be seeing AI in a lot of places it shouldn't be. And we're going to be seeing companies tackle the problems of how they should be integrating AI. And so this is an exciting year, but I don't think that a lot of the startups we're seeing this year will make it.
5: Win or lose, the annual CES show is fun and interesting. Just ask the over 100,000 people expected to attend this year's show.
1: Wow. What was your favorite?
0: Well, that cat facial recognition technology is pretty interesting. I wonder what the cat would do if it just can't get in. It wouldn't know why.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it would learn at least when it drops the mouse once and the door opens. Hopefully that has some learning. I mean, that's I agree. That was on top of my list as well because that's pretty fun because a lot of times when the cat loves the owner too much, I guess, there are some unwelcome gifts.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe they can use this technology to help ward off criminals or intruders or something like that.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. That would be good. Well, we're heading to the second part of our broadcast now. Uh, We'll be back in just one minute, so stay with us.
2: There are real consequences to controlled media. And NTD's founders know them firsthand. Our freedom of thought is the price. This is the lesson that guides us in everything we do.
9: So there's the tear gas.
2: We know the value of a free society, and we take seriously the responsibility to preserve it. We. R-N-T-D.
0: Good morning. Welcome to NTD.
1: Good morning. Here are today's top stories. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis seeking to convince Iowans that Trump's not guaranteed to win despite leading in polls. What's unfolding in Iowa as the nation's first caucuses are now five days away.
0: Arguments for former President Trump's immunity in his election case. Can the court even decide this before a verdict? And what was the hypothetical involving assassination? A legal analyst unpacks this
1: spending bill negotiations are getting testy. Multiple lawmakers plan a shut down the border or shut down the government press conference today.
0: Israel is set to appear before the International Court of Justice this week. It's a case brought up by the South African government that could determine the course of the war in Gaza.
1: Secretary of State Antony Blinken says Palestinians from northern Gaza must be allowed to return home as soon as conditions permit. The top diplomat wraps up his visit to Israel and is on the onto the West Bank.
0: No chance of landing on the moon. The first American moonlander in 50 years has officially failed. Find out what comes next.
2: This is NTD Good Morning. Live
0: from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan. Welcome to NTD.
1: Welcome, everyone. We've made it halfway through the week. It's Wednesday, January 10th. And today's top news. Dismissing polls in Iowa, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis went after former President Trump at a Fox News town hall last night. He doubled down on that at a press conference while Trump navigated between the courtroom and the campaign trail.
0: And today's White House correspondent Iris Tao is in Des Moines to give us an update on DeSantis's latest message in Iowa. Good morning to you, Iris.
3: Good morning to you as well. While former President Trump is still dominating in the polls here in Iowa, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Tuesday tried to dismiss the polls by calling on Iowan voters to end the quote self-fulfilling prophecy of Trump winning in 2024.
2: There's a lot of people that want to vote, you know, for Republicans, um, but I think that there's a lot that that, that that are not going to do the Trump stuff. That's just the reality. And like, you know, we can sit there and, and try to deny it, but that's been true in all these elections going forward. So the question is,
3: DeSantis also claimed that the media has been going relatively easy on Trump. One of DeSantis' surrogates here in Iowa, Congressman Chip Roy, told us about his reasoning. Watch.
4: When you got Fox saying, sure, we're going to give you your own one-hour show, uh, you know, at town hall at 9 o'clock, why not force him to show up for a debate? Will they ask him some really tough questions?
3: DeSantis also went after Trump's legal troubles, saying that if Trump becomes a Republican nominee, the 2024 election will be all about Trump himself. Trump is juggling between the courtroom and the campaign trail here in Iowa. He appeared at a D.C. appeals court on Tuesday, claiming presidential immunity in the 2020 election case. He also posted this on Tuesday.
5: I wasn't campaigning. The election was over. I did absolutely
3: nothing wrong. I was acting as the president of the United States. This wasn't for me. This was for the country. Trump is participating at another Fox News town hall tonight here in Iowa. And thus as DeSantis and Nikki Haley are set to debate right across town. And on Thursday, Trump's traveling to New York to appear for the closing arguments in the New York civil fraud trial. He will be back here in Iowa over the weekend. And one message that Trump and other candidates are trying to project to voters here is come out to vote on Monday and don't mind the below zero temperatures. Back to you.
0: Former President Trump was in court to decide presidential immunity in his election case. Earlier, I spoke to Paul Kamenar, the lead counsel at the National Legal and Policy Center, to hear more about the arguments from both sides.
4: I was there at the courtroom sitting uh, right uh, in the first row behind uh, President Trump. And I heard the arguments and the argument about whether they should hear this before the trial is very important because the whole purpose of immunity is that Trump should not even be subject to going through all this criminal trial process. So this is something that must be decided before the trial. And that's why it's very important for the court to rule at least one way or the other so we can, so Trump can appeal it uh, to the higher court.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting because AP reports that a watchdog says that there is Supreme Court precedent that shows that they can't decide it now, whereas Trump's attorney is saying that there is precedent to decide this. So a lot of mix up there. One judge on Trump's team was asked if a president would be granted immunity if they somehow orchestrated some assassination plot against their rival. And then they replied that the president can only be prosecuted if they've already been impeached. Smith's team asked at that point, what kind of world are we living in? So does this argument hold up?
4: Yeah, that that was a question that did raise some problems in terms of the arguments by Trump's attorney. I think what uh, they were trying to get at is, and they gave examples, if, if uh, uh, Obama had uh, ordered, uh, and he did order, drone strikes that killed U.S. citizens, could Obama be prosecuted in that case? And I think the underlying issue that should be Uh, considered here is whether or not President Trump is carrying out presidential duties or within the outer limit or outer perimeter, as the case law says, of his duties. And so I I think the uh, example that they gave was problematic because they were trying to tie in the impeachment clause issue. And I think that's a separate issue from whether or not President Trump was acting within his presidential duties, because on that alone, he could prevail that there should be uh, absolute immunity in this case.
0: Paul Kaminar, lead counsel of the National Legal and Policy Center, thank you for your time.
4: Thanks you for having me.
1: And now for the latest on spending bill negotiations. Senate Republicans said yesterday that a short-term funding measure will be needed this to avert a partial federal government shutdown that would begin on January 19th.
0: And today's Daniel Monahan has more on that and the role the border is playing in the talks.
5: Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell told reporters that lawmakers will obviously need a short-term continuing resolution or CR. McConnell says it will allow bipartisan negotiators from both chambers time to agree on full year 2024 spending bills. Senator John Thune also told reporters Tuesday that lawmakers would most likely need a CR that lasts until sometime in March. Senate Leader Chuck Schumer and House Speaker Mike Johnson agreed to a $1.59 trillion spending deal on Sunday, but now must work to get it passed. Under the current arrangement, Funding will expire on January 19th for federal programs involving transportation, housing, agriculture, energy, veterans, and military construction. Funding for other parts of the government, including defense, will continue through February 2nd. House Speaker Johnson said the deal he made was the best deal they could broker under the circumstances.
10: This is not uh, what we all want, it's
4: not the uh, the best, deal that we could get if we were in charge of both chambers and had the White
5: House. Representative Carlos Jimenez says a small minority is preventing Republican cooperation. We should be winning together and winning the majority, and somehow we just can't be together. We can't get our act together. Congressman Don Bacon says not being able to count on what the budget's going to be is hard on the military and all the federal agencies.
7: We have, we have divided governments. A lot of folks think we can just demand what we want. We have one half of one-third of the
5: government under our control. The Schumer-Johnson deal is opposed by conservative Republicans in both the House and Senate. They want spending cuts and border security. Congressman Matt Rosendale is holding a shut down the border or shut down the government press conference on Wednesday. He will be joined by Senators Rick Scott, Mike Lee, and Duron Johnson, and by Congressman Matt Gates and Bob Good. Representative Jody Arrington says nobody wants a shutdown.
2: Don't shut the government down if you can help it. And there are only some very rare exceptions in extenuating circumstances. The border is one of those.
5: Senator Roger Marshall says 10 million people have crossed the border illegally since Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and President Joe Biden took office, and that 300,000 Americans have died from fentanyl poisoning or opioid poisoning.
7: Our FBI director says all the warning lights are now blinking. This is why we should fire Secretary Mayorkas today and give Joe Biden the message that he's next.
5: Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas paid a visit to the southern border on Monday. He called on Congress to alleviate the tremendous stress on the broken immigration system and fund under-resourced facilities. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
1: And when we come back after the break, a high-stakes case in international court accusing Israel of genocide. We get insights into what's at stake and the potential impacts on the war against Hamas.
0: Secretary of State Antony Blinken reveals steps with Israel toward allowing displaced civilians to go home. More on the top diplomats' trip to the Middle East and efforts to ease tensions.
1: No chance of landing on the moon. The first American moon lander in 50 years has officially failed. What comes next? Stay tuned for more after the break here on NTD News.
0: good to have you back with us. Israel is set to appear before the International Court of Justice this week after being accused of genocide. The South African government is bringing the case, alleging Israel has breached its obligations under the convention in the war against Hamas.
1: The Jewish state is being tried under the United Nations Genocide Convention. The treaty was drawn up after World War II and the atrocities of the Holocaust. Israel firmly rejects the accusation, with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu outright calling it false. So joining me now for more on this is Rabbi Abram Cooper. He's an associate dean and director of global social action at the Simon Wiesenthal Center. Good morning. It's good to have you. First of all, well, genocide, that's good morning. That's about one of the most, if not the most serious allegation out there. So what's at stake for Israel in this case?
11: Well, uh, this is really an unbelievable situation. First of all, the Genocide Convention, which was written after World War II, was uh, inspired by the world's outrage over the genocide of the Jewish people during uh, the Nazi Holocaust. Six million Jews were systematically murdered uh, by Nazi Germany. Uh, So uh, the accusation under this rule that the Jewish state is undertaking a similar program against any other people uh, is, uh, is uh, outrageous. It's um, uh, endangers really the legitimacy of the Jewish state. And that would explain in part why enemies of Israel uh, are so happy to see this uh, new front opened in the uh, Inter- International Court of Justice. Look, um, war is terrible, but war, By definition itself is not a war crime and effectively the Jewish state is being held to a completely different standard Uh, and then when you look at the roster of potential of the 15 judge uh, panel you're talking about individuals from China from Russia from Somalia from Lebanon Uh, it's almost a kind of dark comedy but obviously there's a lot at stake Israel Uh, was invaded by terrorists on October 7th this last year. Uh, 1,200 of its citizens were murdered in the single largest um, killing OF JEWS SINCE right. THE NAZI HOLOCAUST. And, excuse, MASS uh, sorry, RAPE OF WOMEN, etc SINCE et WE'RE A LITTLE SHORT
1: ON TIME HERE, LET ME JUST BRING bring IT BACK TO SOMETHING YOU SAID BEFORE BECAUSE I REALLY WANT TO TOUCH ON THAT. YOU SAID IT THREATENS um, THE legitimacy, LEGITIMACY OF THE JEWISH STATE. SO TELL ME MORE ABOUT WHAT THE DIPLOMATIC AND POLITICAL CONSEQUENCES ARE HERE FOR ISRAEL DURING THIS WAR.
11: WELL, THE STAKES ARE QUITE HIGH IN TERMS OF uh, ACTUALLY coming before what effectively has been in the past a kangaroo court. Israel feels very strongly that uh, if ever any state had the legal and moral right to counterattack against terrorists, uh, this would be the time uh, they believe they have the right legal arguments, the right moral arguments. And even, for example, South Africa that brought the complaint, uh, they were protecting war criminal that the rest of the world wanted uh, former President uh, Bashir from uh, Sudan. So this is a straight political hit job, but Israel has decided it's this is an opportunity for it to make its case to the entire world and, then and to outline what in Israel is actually leaving terrorists who put who you own people and Jewish hostages as human shields.
1: So would the court potentially also have the ability to order a stop to the war?
11: Well, the court can say anything that it wants. Um, And as we know, in terms of uh, the actions of countries around the world, there can be uh, all sorts of states and threats and even sanctions. So no court uh, can actually stop a war. But in this case, uh, Israel is in a defensive mode it has to make sure its civilians are never subject to that kind of uh, act again. And no Israeli government can stand unless it's ready to defend its citizens.
1: So there is this is a war, as you mentioned, and Israel is here to defend themselves. So, But South Africa, to be more specific, is alleging that Israel is killing Palestinians, causing mental and bodily harm, and creating conditions with the intent of physical destruction. So do you think South Africa has a case here?
11: It's turning reality on its head. It's not Israel that's causing the suffering, and there is suffering and, uh, and death in a part of uh some uh, Palestinian civilians but the moral and legal responsibility for those deaths are clearly right at the feet of uh hamas terrorists and and hamas terrorist leaders they're the ones who are responsible uh for the uh, uh maiming and killing of innocent people jews and arabs and other nationalities uh by by um, launching the terrorist attack by breaching international law, by launching crimes against humanity, and using even children as pawns in a deadly game. They want to run up the casualty count. Israel has the right and the obligation to defend itself, in this case, not even against the sovereign country, but against uh, identified international terrorists.
1: Yes, that that's for sure. Hamas came in, and that was a war crime with the intent of genocide. But so now, with the convention, of course, so the convention says that to constitute genocide, there must be a proven intent on part on the part of the perpetrators. So on Israel's side, there is some that argue that there. Were, are politicians in Israel and public figures that made statements very publicly so that show that kind of intent, um, and that there, that there is narratives to vilify Palestinians. Um, for example, somebody from the Likud party said they're still too humane, humane, and he said burn Gaza now. So, what do you think about that argument?
11: Yeah, so I think the argument here is that, uh, again, on its face is false. Israel is a dynamic democracy. Israel has suffered horrifically from Hamas terrorism uh, for the last decades. Uh, uh, Babies, children, women, grandparents. Uh, This is targeted mass murder by an anti-Semitic terrorist group that said openly wants to kill every single Jew. So Israel has the obligation to protect itself. And yes, some people who lost loved ones have said things uh, that uh, the government doesn't abide by, but from an emotional point of view, you can certainly understand it and not endorse it. That's not Israel's policy, it's a citizen army. People want to do the job and go home. And every time an Israeli soldier, mostly young, uh, is killed or injured, Uh, is a a terrible blow uh, to the Jewish people. In effect, South Africa and uh, its backers have taken international law, have taken ethics and morality and turned it on its head.
1: Well, thank you so much, Rabbi Abraham Cooper, for your take on this this morning. Thank you for your time.
11: Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
1: The U.S. Navy shot down 21 Houthi missiles and drones launched from Yemen yesterday.
0: It's one of the largest Houthi attacks to take place in the Red Sea in recent
1: months. The military called it a complex attack carried out by the Iranian-backed group.
0: Central Command says the barrage included 18 one-way attack drones, two anti-ship cruise missiles and one anti-ship ballistic missile. The attack was launched toward international shipping lanes in the Southern Red Sea, where dozens of merchant vessels were traveling.
1: There were no ships damaged in the attacks and no injuries were reported.
0: Three destroyers took part in the shootdown of the barrage.
1: And a senior Hezbollah commander was killed in an Israeli drone strike in Lebanon on Monday. That's according to a Lebanese security source.
0: Wasam al-Talwal was a senior member of the Iran-backed terrorist group. He was killed in a drone strike in a car in southern Lebanon.
1: Israel's foreign affairs minister said in a TV interview that Israel was responsible for the strike, adding, quote, this is part of our war. war. He's the first Israeli official to have claimed responsibility.
0: Tawil's death comes just days after Hamas political leader and three others died in a strike in Beirut. Israel has not claimed responsibility for the attack.
1: This killing could put pressure on Secretary of State Blinken's ongoing diplomatic trip through the Middle East. Blinken said in Saudi Arabia that it's not in the interest of anyone to see this escalate and to see an actual conflict. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says Israel must allow Palestinians back to their homes in Gaza as soon as conditions allow and must not be displaced.
0: The comments from the top diplomat came after a day of talks with top Israeli officials in Tel Aviv.
1: Blinken reaffirmed U.S. support for Israel in, quote, ensuring that October 7th can never happen again. He's also calling on Israel to do more to minimize civilian casualties. And he discussed efforts to release hostages still being held by Hamas.
0: Blinken says Israel has agreed to a plan to allow a U.N. assessment mission to northern Gaza when the war shifts to a new phase.
1: He said that will determine what needs to be done to allow those displaced to return safely to their homes.
0: Blinken met with Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas in the West Bank today. That was to discuss Gaza's future and the Palestinian Authority's possible role after the war.
1: Moving on to a different topic now. NASA is postponing its plans to send humans to the moon now that the Peregrine Lunar
8: Lander has failed to land.
0: Why is the moon so valuable to America? And today's Arlene Richards has more.
8: NASA has announced it's postponing its planned Artemis II and III flights after the peregrine lander failed to land on the moon. Artemis II, which will send humans to orbit the moon, is delayed until September 2025. And Artemis III, which will land humans on the lunar surface, is delayed until September 2026. This will be the first time humans travel to the moon since the Apollo 17 mission over a half-century ago.
11: And out oh, the uh, back to uh, center
8: then. Four, three, we have ignition. Hours after yesterday's liftoff, Astrobotic's Peregrine lander, pictured here inside the rocket, suffered a critical loss of propellant. The original mission was to conduct experiments and scout the moon's surface. Its new mission? To see how far it travels before running out of power.
11: Hopefully the uh, government process will be tolerant of these kind of failures and allow, you know, future missions to go ahead based on what we've learned rather than just declare it a total failure and walk away.
8: Jim Cantrell is a founding member of SpaceX, the CEO of Phantom Space Corporation and author of Breaking All the Rules, an inside story of the space race. He says it's important to land on the Moon because of the Moon's resources, a key one being helium-3.
11: It's uh, probably the only source of clean fusion energy uh, that we have, and as we know, fusion is moving along uh, nicely in its technical development. And then secondly, it's the only substance that can be used to uh, run quantum computers.
8: Helium-3 is a critical isotope rarely found on Earth. It could potentially be used for nuclear fusion energy technology, a theoretically clean, safe and virtually limitless source of power. Danielle Russa is the granddaughter of astronaut Stuart Russa, who orbited the moon during the Apollo 14 mission. Russa says the competition is good for progress. One of Astrobotic's competitors, Intuitive Machines, is launching the Nova Sea lander to the moon this February with the same mission of conducting experiments and scouting the surface. Arlene Richards, NTD News.
0: Well, the moon's not going anywhere and it seems like NASA's ambitions aren't either in the near future, so I'm sure we're gonna see more attempts.
1: That's right, yeah. Um, let's see, it, it's interesting development though. That's after all, uh, all of uh, what the, the, the when uh, I think there was a Navajo nation, right? They were saying that it is outrageous that they were sending human remains to the moon. And then the the flight um, experiences these troubles. Interesting development.
0: Yeah, well, I wonder if we'll see resource extraction on the moon in our lifetimes.
1: Hmm. Maybe. All right, we'll wrap up our show here, but we'll keep you updated with the latest information. Stay tuned for our News Today broadcast at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Thanks for watching. I'm uh, Evelyn Lee.
0: And I'm Kevin Hogan.